Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. is that if I'm researching some exciting new drug and my research turns out to be a failure, I don't want to tell that story. I'll be hesitant to publish it. But if my early results are promising and my drug is a huge success, I want to publish that as quickly as possible so I can tell everybody my good news. So what ends up in the published literature is a picture that is skewed towards positive results because our tendency is to only publish stories that have a happy ending. But one thing we know is this. The tragic stories still exist. We just don't tell them. We ignore them. We don't celebrate them. We tell the story of Paul praising God in prison and being miraculously liberated. We don't so much like to talk about the fact that he was re-imprisoned and executed a few years later. And in our generation, we can do the same thing. On the platform especially, we love celebrating when God heals, when God brings breakthrough, when God provides our heart's desires. Now, please, please don't get me wrong. I love to hear these testimonies because they lift my faith. They inspire me to keep waiting and keep trusting. We should celebrate these. But that's not what I want to talk about today. Because for every good situation that is celebrated... We all know that there are situations that don't have a happy ending. And just because we don't talk about them or don't celebrate them on platform doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And in fact, one of the biggest complaints that critics of our faith come at us with is, if God is good, why does he allow suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? And if we want to be in a position to be able to share our faith, this is a question we have to be able to contend with. And if we want to be in a position ourselves where our faith is mature and deep and can withstand the storms that life will throw at us, then this is a question we need to be able to contend with. So I'm asking each of you to come on a journey with me to explore this question. It will take a bit of bravery. It will take a little bit of vulnerability. But one thing we know is whether we publicly acknowledge it or not, not every story has a happy ending. And what on earth are we supposed to do when that happens? When bad things happen, when you pray and pray but the disease is not cured or the child never came or your loved one dies or the spouse your heart longed for doesn't eventuate or they do eventuate and they break your heart, what do we do with that feeling? That feeling that God has somehow forgotten me. We believe that God is both all-powerful and all-good. But when tragedy strikes our lives, we can be left with a very uncomfortable question. We are left wondering if maybe God is not all-powerful. Maybe he is unable to help us. Or even worse than that, if he is all-powerful, maybe he's not all-good. Maybe he could help us, but he doesn't want to. Maybe his plans aren't as good for us as we had thought. And these are a very uncomfortable series of questions to be left with. Now, please, everyone, I am not trying to be triggering of people's emotions today, but I want to be real. I want to talk about the fact that we so often celebrate the miracles and happy endings as we should, but we shy away from talking about the times that it doesn't happen because it doesn't fit as neatly into a sermon. We don't talk about it, but it, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And if we never talk about it, people can be left feeling alone in their pain, not knowing what to do with it. So is everybody okay to continue at this point? 
Can we get a little uncomfortable? Can we get a little vulnerable today? Thank you. So I want to set two foundational ground rules before we really dive in. When we hear stories of people's pain, our human nature often prompts us to one of two responses. Either A, we minimise their story because ours is so much worse, or B, we minimise our own story because theirs is so much worse. But neither of these are God's way because both leads us into that trap of comparison. The bottom line is we all have our burdens to bear. There is no need to rank them. We all feel disappointment. We all feel fear. We all experience periods of hopelessness. And Jesus doesn't offer victory and breakthrough only to those who can tell the most harrowing tale. His compassion is for every single person. So when we talk about pain and suffering, the first ground rule is that we do not compare or rank people's pain. Everyone's pain is valid. Everyone's pain is real. And the second ground rule is that God does not cause our suffering. As Christians, we fundamentally believe this, that every good thing comes from God. God is not the source of suffering. We are not given an answer as to why God alleviates suffering for some but not others, but it is not because he loves them any less. And here at the chapel, we absolutely do not believe that God uses suffering to punish the sins of his children and especially not as a punishment or curse for sins of their predecessors. God might use the hardships in our life, but he does not cause them. This would contradict the very core of who God is as a God who is good, a God who is love. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, I want you to turn the clock back 13 years on my life. When I was in medical school, my best friend at uni was a girl called Catherine or Cat. Kat came from Canberra. She was really into horse riding. She was outdoorsy. She could talk to anybody. And she was one of these people who just had the innate ability to see the good in people. Uh, Kat and I would sit together in lectures. We would share notes. We'd both gone to all girls' schools, so we would commiserate about the fact that we didn't really know how to talk to boys. Um, Kat was not a Christian. We would have conversations about faith and religion. She was actually quite open to talking about it. But I always held back on going full evangelist on her. You know what I mean when I say that. I was self-conscious about offending her or putting her off. Well, one Sunday night in 2010, Kat called me and asked if I wanted to come and hang out. I was actually at a church young adults event at the time, so I gave my excuses and said I'd catch up with her later. That was the last time I spoke to her. Because two days later, a friend rang me to say that Kat had run herself a bath where she had unexpectedly had a seizure and drowned and was found by her housemate a few hours later. She was a 21-year-old girl studying to be a doctor and her life was cut short in the blink of an eye and I had never fully shared my faith with her. That experience completely shattered me. I railed at God. I couldn't comprehend how God could have allowed her life to be cut so short. And I couldn't help but feel that he had taken away from her the chance to really hear the gospel message. And then I found my own heart questioning God and I was plagued with guilt about that. I didn't know what to do with those feelings or how to process them properly. And then plagued with guilt, I didn't know if I could be honest about those feelings with my leaders. So when the happy endings don't come, what are we supposed to do with those feelings? We believe that God is all-powerful and all-good, that he is willing and able. 
But when suffering strikes in life, it can leave us with some very uncomfortable questions. Questions we don't know how to answer. We're left questioning if God is really all-powerful and able to help us. Or worse, if he is able, we're questioning whether he's willing to help us. We're left questioning whether God is in fact good. There is one story in the Bible more than any other that helps me navigate these feelings, and that is the story of Lazarus in John 11. Jesus has these very dear friends who he loves, a brother Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And word is sent to Jesus that Lazarus is very sick. Jesus' response when he hears this news strikes me as very unusual. Jesus responds, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Mary, Martha and Lazarus so So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. This action or inaction strikes me as very unusual but intentional. Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick. Jesus loved Mary, Martha and Lazarus. So he stayed where he was for two more days and in that time of waiting, Lazarus died. Now, for those who don't know the story, spoiler alert, Jesus raises Lazarus to life again. But before he does so, Mary and Martha, these friends who he loves, both cry to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus allowed his closest friends to suffer. He knew how the story would end, but they didn't. Their pain was real and Jesus allowed it. It feels cruel. That is, it feels cruel until we look at Jesus' response. Two small words, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. To weep is to express an overwhelming outpouring of grief and sorrow. And that was Jesus' response. Jesus knew full well he was about to raise Lazarus from death. He knew the ending that was coming. Yet when he met with his friends who were grieving, he wept. He wept with sorrow and compassion. He wept with them. He knew he was about to restore Lazarus, but still he was heartbroken at their distress. He mourned with them. And in that moment, we know there was no cruelty in Jesus allowing Lazarus to die. No sick pleasure or indifference in seeing his friends suffer. His heart broke for them but he was also aware of a higher purpose that would be achieved through the suffering. He said, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. We believe that God is all powerful and all good. Suffering challenges this belief. We're left grappling with the fear that the presence of suffering must mean that God is either not all powerful or worse, not all good. But possibly, just possibly, there is another explanation that God is both all-powerful and all-good in our fallen world. We live in this fallen world as a consequence of sin. The moment sin entered the world, it started a process of inevitable decay for all life. And sometimes bad things happen in this fallen world. Possibly God allows bad things to happen because he has a purpose higher than ours. Possibly he has a perspective that we cannot see. When we fully comprehend God's awe, his greatness, his wonder, all our questions diminish. When Job lost everything he loved and questioned God, 
What was God's response in Job 38? He said, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know. There is a place that we can come to in suffering where we don't understand it. We can't make sense of it. All that we are is broken down, but we choose to cling to God. We choose to hold firm in the belief that God is both all-powerful and all-good. And in that space, faith is refined. Faith is proved and we are overcomers. And that is when faith rises. Scholars have actually made a study of this question to try and come up with an answer as to why suffering exists. Here are some of their theories. While first, we live in a fallen world, our bodies are frail, DNA is prone to decay, which leads to disease. Or second, there are forces that are inherently good that can cause harm when they enter the same space. For example, gravity is an inherently good force, but if it causes a rock to fall and crush my leg, that causes harm. Or third, if there was no God, would that make us feel okay about suffering? But to analyse or philosophise around suffering, it's actually callous to those who are experiencing it. It is a luxury that only those who are not experiencing it can indulge in. And rather than philosophise around why suffering happens, the bigger question we ask is, where is God in the midst of it? What then should our conclusion be when God allows us to suffer? Is God not able Is God not good? Or is God both able and good, but has a perspective and a purpose that is above our understanding, but he weeps with us in the midst of our suffering and restores our hope? I will never, ever understand why my friend Kat died so unexpectedly, but I trust in the one who does know all things. And whatever the circumstance, I trust that he is God. I trust that he is in control. I trust that he loves me and has good plans for me. And I trust that he weeps when I weep. And sometimes it's a difficult choice, but we choose to trust. If we want any more proof of the goodness of God, we need only look at the life and death of Jesus. From the moment sin entered the world, God has been planning on how to rescue us. He gave everything so that we could be restored. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Because church, God doesn't come through at the end of a difficult season. He comes through in the midst of the difficult season. When he holds you, when he sustains you, when he carries you through it. He was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He was with Mary and Martha and wept with them. Psalm 23 says he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, not once our enemies are no more. He held me when I railed at him after my friend died and he healed my heartache. God is with us in the midst of our suffering and he weeps with us. He holds us and then he restores our hope. When we talk about waiting on God for breakthrough in our diagnosis or in our finances or in our relationships, we can start to put the emphasis on the thing we're waiting for. And we can start to live in the future, holding out for better times when God will finally give me victory. But what if instead we put the emphasis on the now? What if the win, what if victory is not something for the future when we get through whatever circumstance it is we're facing? 
What if the win, the victory, is for right here, right now, in the midst of the circumstance? What if the win and the victory is in a spirit that rejoices in the midst of the pain? In Habakkuk 3, it says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. We don't have to wait for our circumstances to change to claim the victory that is ours in Christ. Because in Christ, our victory does not lie in our circumstances. In Christ, one who dies from their illness is just as victorious as the one who receives a miraculous healing. In Christ, one who lives gracefully through infertility is just as victorious as one who receives a miracle child. And in Christ, the one who remains faithful through disappointment is just as victorious as the one who receives their heart's desire. Because victory is available for all of us right here, right now, in the midst of our circumstances. Victory is not in the cured ailment. Victory is not in the birth of the child or the financial breakthrough. They are examples of God's favour and God's blessing. But victory came well before that. Victory comes in a heart that chooses to trust God regardless or in the midst of the circumstance. I want to show you a picture of a remarkable woman. Does anyone recognise her? Her name is Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom grew up in a strong Christian family who hid Jews in their home throughout World War II. But in 1944, they were discovered and arrested. Corrie's father died in a concentration camp 10 days later. Corrie and her sister Betsy, who was her best friend, were sent to the notorious Ravensbrück concentration camp. Betsy died in that camp, but Corrie survived. Corrie Ten Boom went on to share her story of how she and her sister Betsy had spent their time in the camp sharing Jesus' love with the other women, leading many to Christ. She had actually been able to smuggle a Bible into the camp. And they shared how they held worship meetings and Bible studies in their barracks. She actually shared how they thanked God that their beds were infested with fleas because it meant the Nazi guards would not come into their room and they could hold worship meetings without being discovered. Corrie Ten Boom died in 1983, but she left a legacy of trusting God in all circumstances. And she wrote this beautiful poem that says it much better than I ever could, so I'd love to read it for you. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colours he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget that he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why the dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares, nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. When God grants us favour and we experience breakthrough in our circumstances, that is most wonderful. But the greater win... The more important win is the win that happens when our faith rises in the midst of hardship. Chapel, we're not waiting for victory because victory was already granted when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Victory was granted when the stone was rolled away and the tomb was found empty. In that moment, we were given victory once and for all in the promise that God is with us, that he voluntarily took on all suffering so that we could be whole. 
There is a beautiful example in Mark chapter 9 of a father pleading with Jesus to heal his son. The father says, or Jesus tells the father that everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Church, Jesus was always about authenticity. God doesn't want a church that puts on a brave but fake face. He doesn't want us to put on a show of piety, not being honest about the fact that we're really struggling right now. And just like the father in Mark 9, it is okay to ask God to help us in our unbelief. To say, God, I know in my head you are with me in my pain, but I'm struggling to know it in my heart. Please help me. And there is a difference between being resigned and giving up on hope versus having hope and clinging on in the midst of the pain. And even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was arrested, prayed for a different option when he said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, but I want your will to be done, not mine. So we in our season can pray. We can tell God, God, I'm struggling in this season. I'm asking you for breakthrough yet not my will be done, but yours. And as long as this season lasts, please make me aware of your presence as you walk me through it. I believe that God wants to tell someone here today that the season you're in now is not one that is just to be endured until it's over. God's answers for the questions you're grappling with don't have to come when this season ends. The win is for right now. The win is for a spirit that rejoices in the midst of suffering. The circumstance might not change, but we change. And that makes all the difference. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I actually asked my mum, who is here today, about her experience of grieving the loss of their first child to a terminal illness. She put it with such grace and wisdom as she described it and said, when you're in the midst of it, you feel like you're on the edge of a precipice, like you're hovering over a dark, bottomless pit, but you don't fall in because the one who holds you will never, ever let you go. Psalm 37, 24, though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Can I ask, how will you view your story? Because when we tell the story with a human lens, it's a tragedy. Corrie ten Boom was abused in a concentration camp where her sister died. We are afflicted by disease, loss, loneliness, injustice. But when you flip the lens, when you tell the story with the lens of Christ, it's not a tragedy, it's a shout of victory. Corrie ten Boom started a church in the barracks where she led many to Christ and began an amazing amazing ministry. And she is with her sister in glory. God is our sustainer and provider. He allows us to soar on wings like eagles and has won the victory already. By the Holy Spirit living within us, He comforts us. He strengthens us in the midst of our suffering. And when we rejoice in the hardship, we claim a great victory in the heavenly realms. Can I ask you, if God never cures you, 
If your loved one were never healed, if the longed for child never came, if you never married, whatever your if is, will you still trust that God's plan is better than your own? Will you still declare that He is faithful? Will you still trust that He has a reason for things being the way they are, even if you can't understand it? Will you still trust that He is good? That He is willing and able, but He has a different perspective to you? Will you still choose to worship? And yes, it is a choice. Will you still love and follow Him all the days of your life? Because when we have that heart, that is when we gain victory. Victory in the spiritual realms and victory here in our own soul. And when we change the filter through which we view our story, the tragedy becomes a shout of victory. I don't want to finish today without allowing a moment for us to pray together because this is real for some of us, right? If this has resonated with you and if you feel that you're in the midst of a season of hardship, if you are looking at your circumstance and saying, God, where are you in the midst of this mess? We actually want to stand with you in prayer today to claim the victory that is for today, not just for when the season ends. Or if you are someone who has struggled with this concept, who has struggled to reconcile suffering with a loving God, and if you've held God at arm's length, not sure if you can trust Him, we also want to stand with you in prayer today, to stand and pray as the Father in Mark prayed, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.